Good morning, Village Church East. Good morning. How good to see you this morning. I thought I needed to start off with a big bang this morning, with that not on the microphone, but uh, I have a very cool illustration to start off before you pull it up, before you pull it up. Uh, very cool illustration to start off this morning because if you saw the video, I do a video every week, give you an idea what's coming up on Sunday so you can skip if you want to or attend if you want to actually <laughs> it's just give you a heads up on what we're going to be talking about this Sunday is Daniel chapter 7 if you've been following along and in Daniel chapter 7 Daniel has an incredible nightmare and in his nightmare he sees four beasts and we're going to be talking about those uh, beasts today and <clears throat> if you read ahead like some that I've already talked to today who have read ahead and said, what in the world are we going to learn out of Daniel chapter 7? I'm very excited to get into these next six chapters because they all deal with kind of the same thing. So let's dive in right away. How many of you miss the 80s? <laughs> yeah, no, no, nobody really cares about that. We played some 80s songs this morning because I thought that would kind of get me in the mood. Well, <clears throat> you may miss the 80s more than you think you do. For instance, the 80s never really die. You may be interested to see some of these have come up uh, lately. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, you've seen those before, haven't you? Where have you seen those? The 80s. These are Converse sneakers. Oh, here's something. Yeah, high-waisted light jeans. Oh, I was going to wear my light jeans today. I totally forgot. So I wore light jeans in the 80s. Apparently, I can wear them again, and my kids won't make fun of me. And they can be high-waisted. How about this? Yes. Tacking up your jeans. Yeah, hey, uh, where's uh, Matt? Have you got your jeans tacked up? Yeah, you do? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Long live the 80s. And how about this? Yeah, you like that hair? Yeah, it's coming back, though, isn't it? Maybe it'll get as bad as this. I'm not quite sure. But that <laughs> do you know who that is? Oh my goodness, Sarah Jessica Parker. That is correct, yeah. Quite the hairstyle from the 80s there. Uh, she does not look like this now, however. She looks, actually, if you can believe it, a whole lot worse. But um, those are signs from the 80s. So my question to you is, what lasts forever? Could it be that the 80s last forever? No, probably not. Because we'll go through this style, and then we'll go through another style, and 80s, not, nothing last forever. And then I started thinking, well, I got to give you an example of something that really lasts, gets its heels in us, hooks in us, and lasts forever. How about this? Diamonds last forever, right? No, you'll be surprised to know that diamonds actually do not last forever. Diamonds actually, if they're left on their own under regular pressure or even given enough time, do you know what diamonds turn into? Diamonds turn into this, pencils. Yes, the simplest form of carbon is what diamonds eventually will turn into. So what your diamond will be used in a piece of wood on somebody's SAT someday. So that's what uh, diamonds turn into. So diamonds don't last forever. So I thought, I thought really hard, what could possibly be a good example of something that lasts forever? And I came up with this. <laughs> Twinkies. Twinkies last forever, don't they? <laughs> Well, you'd be surprised to know that even Twinkies do not last forever. Uh, but I did find one example of a guy in Maine, he's a school teacher, who kept a Twinkie on his shelf for 30 years. And, uh, and I'm not sure if he actually ate it. He was interviewed and he said it looked exactly the same in the package as it did when he put it on his shelf 30 years earlier. 
So even Twinkies don't, well, actually, you know what? Jury's still out on this. This actually may last forever, I'm not sure. So then what I thought, what about this? What about kingdoms? What about, what about the kingdoms of men? Surely they will last forever. I mean, we live in America. How many of us believe that America will last forever? We kind of deep down inside of us, we kind of think that it will, but even America and Canada and, and all of these countries will eventually fall. Even kingdoms don't last forever. And if you've been on the journey with us through the book of Daniel, we've already kind of wet our whistle on this concept. Daniel 6 uh, finishes the narrative of Daniel. Daniel 7 to the end of the book talks about the end of times. And it talks about the rise and fall of kingdoms. It actually gives us the entire history of the planet. And so today, Daniel 7 gives us an overall picture of human history from beginning to end. So uh, I came up with this title, and Michael liked it, and so we're going to go with it. This is human history in 40 minutes. Now you're going to hold me to the 40 minutes bit, aren't you? All right. So around the world in 40 days, around Daniel 7 in 40 minutes. Here we go. The background of where we're coming to in Daniel chapter 7, if you're using your Bible, you can pop over there if you'd like to. It would be a good time right now. But Daniel has already established in the narrative of Daniel 1 to 6, God is the king of kings, king of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Bab uh, Belshazzar. He is the king even of the Persian Empire. Babylon has fallen. And in the dream that Daniel gives, uh, or the dream of the statue that Daniel interprets to Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus is the final kingdom that smashes all under kingdoms. And if you remember the, the story correctly, the, the rock that smashes that, that statue down, you remember the statue with the gold head and the bronze and all that? That statue goes to the ground and then the rock fills the earth and it lasts forever. The emphasis of that statue now comes back to see us throughout the rest of Daniel, Daniel's uh, book. This is all about prophecy. It's all about what happens in the end time. So Daniel is assuming we've already read Daniel 1 to 6. And here's the only difference. In the statue of gold and bronze and silver, all of these, this, and this huge statue that reached to the sky, we saw the magnificence of the kingdoms of the world. But in Daniel chapter 7, now we begin to see the dark side. We begin to see the underbelly of all the kingdoms of the world and how corrupt and nasty they can be. And so I've entitled this, uh, our end times study, Rescue or Ruin. Prophecy can easily get its hooks in us too, by the way. Some people love prophecy so much, they look for the, the details and try and figure out what all the little details are. Let me just give you an, uh, a little synopsis of why God gives us prophecy in scripture. It's not so that we get lost in the details. It's so that we can be confident in the outcome. Amen. So when God gives us a vision into the prophecy of what is to come, including in Daniel chapter seven, the emphasis is not so that Daniel can get lost in the details of what he's seeing in the vision. The emphasis is so that we can be confident that God wins. The emphasis of all prophecy through all of scripture is not so that we can get lost in the details, but so that we can see the acts of God that are graciously done on behalf of men so that no matter what happens, God always has his plan accomplished and God wins. 
Those are the two, uh, that, that, that is a main emphasis of, of, of prophecy. God always gets his mission accomplished and God always wins. The second part of that is, how does it apply to us? If that's the case, if God always wins, how then should I live? That's why we have prophecy in scripture and that's why we have Daniel chapter seven. And so jump in with me in Daniel seven, verse one. Here we go, Daniel has a dream. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. So now we've gone back about seven years in history. So we've, we're done, remember, Persia is now in charge in Daniel chapter six. Daniel seven, Daniel recounts for us a dream he's had seven years earlier when Belshazzar was the king. And he says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel, I saw a dream and visions in his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. And so we dig in. And the first thing that we find about history is that it's one large heartache. It's a painful experience. In Daniel 7 and verse 15, after Daniel has this vision, look at Daniel's response. Look at his reaction in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was, what's the word there? anxious and the visions of my head what did they do they alarmed me daniel has this vision of the end times a vision that is supposed to emphasize to him that no matter what happens god wins his purpose is accomplished and you could trust him but even after that in verse 15 after he has the vision daniel is still still awake at night with the visions dancing around in his head the nightmare of what he just saw. So let's look at what he just saw. Four beasts, verse three. Four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. These four great beasts are the four kings of the earth who shall arise out of the earth. Beast number one, this is a recap of the statue. Beast number one, of course, was Nebuchadnezzar. Now to Daniel, this has already happened, verse four. The first was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. And as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And then the mind of a man was given to it. So we have a picture of this eagle's wing, this lion with eagle's wings, but it looked like it was strong and then the wings were plucked off and it was cast to the ground, then it was lifted up to from the ground and the mind of a man was given back to it. Sound like anybody you know? Sounds like Belshazzar, or, or uh, Nebuchadnezzar, not Belshazzar, it's Nebuchadnezzar. When he loses his mind, he goes, he, he thought he was the best thing since sliced bread, you remember that, bragging on himself, gets cast to the ground, God gives him his mind back and he gets restored. So the first one is a recap of the golden head, that is Nebuchadnezzar, beast number two. This is the next thing, this would be the silver for the Medes and the Persians. Verse five, and behold another beast, a second one like a bear. It raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. In the dream, this was a silver torso. This was the statue that represented, part of the statue that represented the Medes and the Persians. These are the guys that came in and destroyed Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was, was out by then, Belshazzar was in, he was drinking wine from the Lord's goblet, you remember all of that from the temple of the, the Lord. And then these guys come in under the water gate and Medes and Persians overthrow the Babylonian empire. They're the next in line and they are represented by this silver torso. Beast number three. 
Piece number three is probably Persia and Greece, uh, represented by the bronze. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a, of a bird was on its back. The beast had four heads, and dominion was given over it. Most people think that this is, uh, per, uh, this is Greece because they took over the world with such speed, like a leopard. Uh, and if you recall, one of the greatest conquerors of the entire world who wept because he realized there was nothing left to conquer. Do you remember who, what his name was? Alexander the Great. He took over the world, the entire known world, with such speed that he is seen in this vision of, of uh, Daniel. He hasn't arrived yet. Nobody even knows about Greece. But they're the next on the list to be the great kingdom that would rule over the world. And then there's a fourth beast. This fourth beast is too terrifying to describe fully. Here's what your Bibles say in verse seven. After this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns. Considering, uh, I considered the horns and behold there came up among them another horn, a little one, and before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth boasting, the Bible says, or speaking great things. Kind of spooky, isn't it? You ever have dreams like this? No, never have? I've had dreams like this. Not, not quite this way, but I've had dreams where stuff didn't make sense before. And we read this and we're thinking to ourselves, well, what does this all represent? In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, remember, we're getting a recap of the statue. These were the legs of iron. These legs possibly stood for a couple of different things. First, a lot of people, including me, think that it stands for this guy. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. This guy was a Hellenistic king who lived in 175 BC, so 175 years before Jesus Christ was born. Antiochus Epiphanes, his name means literally God manifest. This guy thought he was God manifest. Pretty much like most of the ancient rulers, this guy thought he was God manifest. He was in charge of the, um, uh, the Jewish populated areas in Israel, what we know today as Israel, and the Jews hated him. He knew they hated him, and there was a clash between cultures because the Greeks were trying to impose a culture on the Jews, and the Jews wouldn't have any of it. They wouldn't even carry around a coin with a picture of a person's face on it because that violated the Ten Commandments where you can't have the picture of a person on anything that you consider a value followed the Ten Commandments, no other images. So they didn't put any images. They wouldn't even care. That's why they had to go to the temple. I don't know if you know this. That's why they had to go to the temple and get their money exchanged because their money didn't, wasn't the right kind of money. They didn't have Roman money. They had to exchange it for Roman money. Well, in the Greek day, in, in this day, it was the same deal. The Greeks tried to impose their religion, their beliefs, and all of that on the Jews, and they would have none of it. So what did they do? They threw down the gauntlet. They made it as hard as they could on the Jews. They took away all of their rights. They wouldn't let them observe the Sabbath. They wouldn't let them observe circumcision. They wouldn't even let them go into the temple. They took it all away. In fact, this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, took a pig. We're going to have a pig, by the way, on June, cha on June chapter 11th. On June 11th, we're going to have a great, uh, a great pig roast. But we're allowed to do that. 
uh, the Jews, they, uh, they considered this an unclean animal. And Tigus Epiphanes took a pig, squealing pig, slid it open and threw the blood all over the temple, inside the temple, because he was tick ticked off at the Jews. One day he sold 40,000 Jews into slavery and he crucified the other 40,000 while their children watched. And then they watched their children be crucified. This guy was one of the worst in all of history. And I don't know if you've ever heard about him, but now you have. A lot of commentators think that this guy was that little horn that came up because of a lot of different things that the 10 represent and the one that came up in the middle represents. This could also, this, 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 uh, uh, this fourth beast could also represent the Roman Empire. A lot of people think that it represents the Roman Empire and that could be true as well. Two legs were the division. I don't know if you know your Roman history. The Rome was divided into two parts. That's why we have Constantinople in the Western side of the, of the Roman Empire. But anyway, it was divided into two parts. So some people think that it's Rome. Regardless of where you stand on what this fourth kingdom was, Daniel had no idea. He was looking into the future and all he saw was horror. Could be Antiochus, one individual, could be Roman Empire, they were bad too. You never wanted to invite the Romans over for a, for a, for a party, they're nasty individuals. But one thing it definitely does represent, it represents all of the people that would rise up and claim to have the position of God. And our history, the history of this world, is full of despots who believe they have the same position as God. In fact, the Bible tells us that you may think that there's one Antichrist coming, and when Antiochus showed up, you might have thought it was him. That guy must be the Antichrist. There will be an individual called the Antichrist, but before he shows up, there will be a lot.